Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode is brought to you in part by The Gospel for Disordered Lives, a new book from B&H Publishing, authored by Kristen Kellen, Rob Green, and Robert Jones. Happy New Year, and thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514, the first in the year of 2020. I pray that you and your family had a wonderful holiday season, and thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. Today, I get the opportunity to introduce you to one of my long-term friends, Dr. Nate Brooks. Nate and I go way back, and we won't get too much into that history, but you can detect a little bit of familiarity through this episode. But Nate Brooks is the Assistant Professor of Christian Counseling at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. North Carolina. And I had the opportunity to talk to Nate about his life growing up, uh, what he was like as a child, as a teen, how he came to Saving Faith, how he got into biblical counseling, and then some of the lessons learned there. I really enjoyed the time with Nate, as I always do, and I pray that you enjoy it as well. And it also enriches you and sharpens you as a counselor and encourages you in the ministry God has. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. Today, my guest is Nate Brooks. So, Nate, thanks so much for joining us for 1514. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Curtis. Would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Tell us about your family, current ministry roles. I'd be happy to. So, uh, I am an assistant professor of Christian counseling at a Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. And my wife and I live just across the border in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Um, we're actually native Californians uh, from Paso Robles, California, central coast of California. And uh, we've been out here for about five or six years and still adjusting to the reality that like what, that the, that uh, the temperature can be colder at 3 p.m. than it is at 6 p.m. It's just not something we ever dealt with <laughs> due to uh, <laughs> thunderclouds that roll in and things like that. So we have, excuse me, we have three kids. Uh, Blaze is six and Gresham is four and Alethea is 10 months old. That probably tells you a lot of what you need to know about me as I'm the Baptist who names my two kids, my first two kids after uh, a Reformed Catholic and then the founder of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, (laughs) So we're members at Lake Wiley Baptist Church in, uh, in Lake Wiley, South Carolina. Well, that's that's great. And uh, full disclosure, Nate and I have known each other for a long time. We might get into that a little bit later, but we've been good friends. We connected. We uh, we both have enough on each other for mutually assured destruction in this podcast. That's I true. Think. So that's true. I <laughs> won't say your most embarrassing things if you don't say my most embarrassing things. <laughs> well, there's no promises, but I do the the threat of the nuclear option coming back at me uh, will perhaps keep me keep me in check a little bit. So uh, you mentioned growing up in Paso or being natives to uh, California. So tell, tell everybody what your childhood was like out there on the West Coast. So uh, I actually spent the first 14 years of my life up uh, Pacific Northwest. I grew up in a little uh, 2,000 person town uh, in a very economically depressed part of Washington State. My dad was a pastor of about a 65 uh, person church in that town. I think there was, I counted it once, there were like 25 churches and 17 bars inside the city limits or something like that. It was just a really interesting, rough and tumble place to grow up. Um, I, you know, I I grew up there, was homeschooled, and honestly, it was really idyllic. Um, 
loved life up there. We grew up, we had three, four acres, something like that. Played a lot of sports. Dad, pastor of a small church, had a lot of flexibility, coached me. Uh, my, my dad, I guess over the course of my life has, uh, been my pastor, coached me in sports, uh, led me to the Lord and then edited my PhD dissertation. I'm not sure there's too many people that can, can say that. Uh, but, uh, when, when I was 14, uh, some, some things happened at the church and my dad wound up resigning, um, over some, some doctrinal, uh, matters, uh, with the church. And then we transitioned down to, to California and that was about a year after I, I became a Christian. So uh, kind of one of my first experiences as a believer was, was just seeing church heartbreak and the impact that could have on people. Um, and the Lord blessed us by, by uh, having us land at, uh, Cornerstone Community Church in Atascadero, California, uh, where I was just a faithful pastor who's become one of my best mentors for, for the rest of my life. And uh, so, so I'd say you know, a lot of growing up was up in Washington State and then uh, down in California. So you moved out there uh, to Cornerstone, and those who've listened to the podcast for a while will recognize that name because not just because there are 15 bazillion Cornerstones, but because that was... Uh, where I pastored for some time as an associate pastor and, and, uh, our guest in the past, John Mark Weeman is the person who you mentioned there recently, uh, or, or who is the lifetime mentor. So, uh, some of those connections coming through right there. So growing up in that, that family, uh, you said it was really idyllic. What, what, um, how did you come to know the Lord? You mentioned your dad was involved and it was right before you moved, but what, yeah. what, what did that look like? So I was, oh, I was such a good Pharisee, Curtis. Um, <laughs> I was the consummate rule keeper, and I knew how to tie up the mint and the dill and the cumin, I suppose, uh, while ignoring the weightier matters of the law. So uh, I remember there was there was one moment from childhood that, for some reason, has always stuck with me. There was uh, a, a kid uh, who came to our church. I was probably ten or so at the time. And uh, he was from a, a trailer park in the city, didn't know the Lord, etc. And, and he actually offered me a piece of candy during the uh, break that we had in between Sunday school and, um, and church. And uh, I said no, because we weren't allowed to take candy from people we didn't know. And uh, later, I recounted to my parents the fact that, uh, that uh, this kid had come up to me and was asking me all kinds of questions about God, Jesus, the Bible, and was able to share the gospel with him. Now, none of that was true. He had offered me a piece of candy. I had completely manufactured this story to make myself look like a more righteous Christian than I really was. Um, and my, my parents started to press me on a little bit, just asking me more details. And I thought, oh, no. And I didn't get caught. Um, but there's this thing you might have heard about. It's called the Holy Spirit that has a way of tormenting you uh, when <laughs> you have sinned against the Lord. And I look back and I roll my eyes over the fact that you know, one of the things that the Lord used to convince me that I was a sinner who needed his grace was the fact that I was lying to bolster my Christian resume, if you will. And uh, I, I lived under just a great amount of fear and terror, and I didn't know why. I would lay awake at night in bed, uh, praying the sinner's prayer over and over and over again, hoping that it would fill like a cavern in my heart. And it never did. And I remember we were sitting around at the table one day. Uh, my parents are big into hospitality. We had like over 400 people in our house a year. Uh, probably. And uh, we were sitting around the table and there was a, a couple, uh, the wife was, uh, well, both had come to know the Lord later in life and had a rough background. And the wife was asking some, some questions of my dad of her own struggles with assurance of salvation. And uh, she said, Pastor Jim, 
when I accepted Christ, I didn't ask for forgiveness and I didn't express repentance. My prayer was, God, I've tried everything else. I've tried drugs. I've tried sex. I've tried everything else. I'll try you. Said, And my thought process was like, I can either kill myself or I can try Jesus. And if I kill myself and that doesn't turn out well, I can't go back and try Jesus. But if I try Jesus, it doesn't work out. I can always kill myself. She said, so I was kind of at the end of the rope. Um, and my dad just looked at her and said, Kathy, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? I said, yes. I said, and Kathy, do you see in your life over the past years a growing pattern of faithfulness and obedience to Christ out of a love for him and a desire to grow in relationship with him? Well, yes. Kathy, that's the mark of a believer. It's Christ that saves you, not the prayer that saves you. And when my dad said that line about Christ saving us and not the prayer saving us, all of a sudden it clicked. And I, I had one of these moments like, like Bunyan's uh, Christian where the, the, the burden fell off the back and it felt like a physical snap inside me. And so my testimony becomes somewhat like Kathy's uh, minus certain aspects, but just that, that, that I didn't express repentance and forgiveness, but I was repentant and forgive, uh, sought the Lord's forgiveness. And, and it took a while to understand that that's actually when I became a Christian. That was the moment when I stopped simply fearing hell and actually come to see Jesus and his sweetness and glory as being my savior. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord. That's a great, great testimony and awesome that you got to have your dad really involved in that process. And uh, having grown up in Christian home, I think sometimes we forget that that is such a great blessing uh, and that so many people don't have. So what a great testimony of that. And then also for us Christians to turn around and be those witnesses to our children as well. So, so, uh, as you make this transition from the Pacific Northwest down to California, you just become a believer, you land at Cornerstone. How did, how did your life change? What did you get into? What were you involved in as a teen down there in the central coast of California? Yeah. So I went to a 70 person high school, um, (laughs) just just bigger than homeschool, right? For some people. (laughs) I mean, my my entire school size went from two to, to 70. So that's what, like a 35, that's like 350% increase or something like that. 3,500. Don't don't test me on math right now. I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so exponential, right. Um, and you know, honestly, it was a place with a lot of really great teachers. They loved the Lord. Um, they, they helped me start to, it's not that I lived a closeted, you know, uh, reductionist of life up in Washington, but to actually begin to make friends and to identify these are people that help me. And these are people that perhaps hinder me. I got to play a lot of sports and I mean, I'm a five, seven white guy with zero hops whatsoever. <laughs> uh, so I think I'm the only person in my school's history who has a 0% batting average and a 0% uh, 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 field goal percentage in basketball um, combined. Uh, So I was not a particularly gifted athlete, uh, but really enjoyed, you know, doing those kinds of things and started uh, working at Taco Bell and uh, T-shirt printing uh, companies down there uh, while in high school. And, you know, the Lord just, the Lord used that time to help me to kind of sprout some wings that would be necessary for, for flying the, the coop to college, if you will. Yeah. And, and where did you go to college? Uh, I went to master's college. And what, what did you go to study there? Cause I, I, well, I know these things, so it sounds a, a sure, yeah, weird asking did. them, but 
Yeah, so you <laughs> know this, Curtis. Why would you for ask our that? audience who's listening, yeah. uh, <laughs> we need to talk about Curtis's amnesia right now. That's right. Um, yeah, so I was a business major, got a degree in business administration and Christian ministries accounting. I've since forgotten almost all that accounting <laughs> um, and such, but it was a it was a wonderful time. I really enjoyed my time there, and actually, it was there that the Lord uh, kind of transitioned me from thinking about. Uh, just kind of thinking about ministry. So I went into college uh, saying, uh, explicitly saying, Lord, I will do anything for you except serve in vocational ministry, uh, thereby sealing my doom to serve in vocational ministry by uttering such words out loud. It does feel that way often, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but just watching watching the hurt that that kind of church betrayal uh, inflicted upon my parents specifically, uh, I said, I I do not understand. I'm... I I I, I love the Lord, but I don't understand what could be worth that. And if someone else wants to do that, Lord bless them and keep them, but not me. Uh, my plan was to be a, uh, a, a an attorney. Uh, I, I got a business degree because I got a business law degree because um, I realized that if you majored in constitutional law, you could be a lawyer or probably work for FedEx for the rest of your life. Um, just weren't a lot of career tracks open for uh you know, constitutional law majors. So I did business law to have something to fall back on. Uh, I'd seen that be a blessing for my dad, for him to have a math degree. That's what he did after he, uh, after he resigned from the pastoral ministry. And, uh, but, but there at, at masters, uh, under the influence of a man by the name of Joe Keller, um, who's part of the biblical counseling coalition. Um, uh, he had us, I got involved in their student leadership track and he started having us read books by these guys, by the last name, like Tripp and Pallison. And they messed with me um, because all of a sudden I started seeing that the Bible was not just a compendium of doctrine that I was supposed to believe, but it was supposed to have actual impact in my life. And, uh, you know, they're, 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 uh, at that time, their leadership development, I'm not sure what it is now, but at that time, their leadership development track was basically biblical counseling training through CCEF materials. And uh, I began to see how that transformed my heart and then being able to minister to others. And I think that was just a, a taste of that. I began to realize, oh, this is what compels people to do vocational ministry. I wonder if that might be something the Lord would call me to and began investigating that with mentors and pastors and such. And there wasn't any moment that I, you know, really was like, this is what I'm called to do, but just rather a recognition that what I thought was painful actually turned to be quite, quite joyful. And then I just ran in the direction of what I found the most joy in and was really thankful to see the Lord do that in my heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the heartbeat of the Bible, brings life-changing hope and power to real people with real problems. Inspired by that conviction, the gospel for disordered lives provides an introductory guide to the theory and practice of Christ-centered biblical counseling, intended to serve as foundational textbook for students in Christian colleges, universities, seminaries, and graduate schools, the book also provides a useful overview that working counselors can reference in their ministry context. Additionally, it can serve pastors and current counseling practitioners as a helpful refresher and a resource for common counseling problems. I love this new textbook. I'm going to use it in my training, and I hope you will too. That was the, kind of the start of your introduction to biblical counseling and, and what got you into it, but that journey took you in other directions too. So how, how did that unfold even further and where did it go from from there in student life at masters yeah so after i graduated masters uh, i was really sick Uh, i had some autoimmune issues going on and i I took a year off and worked at with john mark at cornerstone 
community church and uh, worked there for about a year. And uh, during that time, eventually settled on uh, Southern Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville uh, to to go there uh, for my MDiv. And I wasn't sure exactly what the Lord would call me to. I I think the plan was to be a pastor. Um, I remember uttering once uh, on that campus, I will never get a PhD, which uttering those words, (laughs) once again, I condemned myself to that in the future. Um, I've started uttering things about receiving incredibly large checks in the mail. Uh, I will never receive a million dollars in the mail. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? so, so that was the plan. And, you know, I, I didn't know exactly what whether it would be missions, pastoral ministry, teaching, who knew. I just figured that I would go and then the Lord would, through what I found interesting and my heart beat most for, would kind of direct me in, in that. And, you know, I, I, I learned very quickly that I was not going to be a Hebrew scholar. Um, I learned very quickly that Greek was not the thing that my heart beat for. Uh, but and while I enjoyed you know systematic theology classes, church history, I just began to realize that the thing that interested me most was uh, was people, was how was was human experience and how people uh, experienced life in the world that we understand through theological lenses, uh, and how God's revelation to us in all forms helps us and uh, gives us what we need for life. And so I, uh, I found uh, a lot of interest there. Uh, I, uh, Jeremy Pierre, the director of the program there, took a risk and invited me to be his teaching assistant when I was still in my MDiv program there and wound up serving with him six years, uh, doing a lot of grading. Uh, I think I graded about 30,000 pages over the course of six years. And uh, you know, you get pretty good at it, uh, being able to speed read biblical counseling materials uh, doing that. And that was just a good opportunity to grow. And one of the things that Jeremy did is he didn't just have me grade. He also afforded me opportunities to do more, to teach some and things like that. And as I began to, to explore that, just really realized, you know what, this is what my heart seems most for. And uh, wound up graduating from Southern and uh, took uh, was offered a position here at RTS in their counseling department in a staff capacity. And uh, went on and earned a, a PhD at uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in, in biblical counseling there, and uh, and then was hired here uh, as full time uh, faculty uh, uh, faculty position about two years ago. That, yeah, that's putting uh, putting it a lot into a nutshell, but that's kind of what you have to do on a podcast episode. So I appreciate that. What uh, what did your did you do your dissertation on? So I did my dissertation. Uh, it was kind of a split dissertation where half of it was detailed systematic theology. The half of it was also detailed uh, study of a system of psychology. So I wrote a critique of the uh, mechanism for change inside second wave cognitive behavioral therapy from the perspective of reformed uh, creeds and confessions. And if you want to cure insomnia, uh, I will be happy to send that to anybody who wants to cure insomnia. Is it available online? We could just put a link for it in the podcast notes and then... You know, it isn't. I know it's available through ProQuest. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. Southern gives all our dissertations away for free, so they're online for anybody to just grab anytime. So, um, well, that, yeah, that's good. And obviously, if, if you do want to do a deep dive into something 
fairly technical. I th- you know, you can reach out to Nate and and uh, get that dissertation. There have been a variety of different ways that you've done counseling ministry, and I think it's one one thing that I, I actually don't like sometimes is this the stark contrast that some people try to put between the academics and the practitioners, uh, because in especially in biblical counseling, most of the institutions that I know are that are hiring people to do training are looking for people who actually do counseling as well. It's not just academics. And, and I think that's something to our credit. It's also a, just a necessity. It's, it's not a, it's a discipline where you can learn it and turn around and teach it. You actually have to practice it before you teach. So um, I know you and your background. What are some of the areas where you have practiced and then continue to, to do biblical counseling? Yeah, so I cut my teeth uh, at, at starting at Masters, uh, doing some counseling, and then again at Boyce College, I was a resident director there, and did a lot of counseling, and then discipleship inside the dorms, lived in the dorms, it was residential ministry. So a lot of the first uh, stuff that I started counseling was uh, uh, helping men who are struggling with pornography addictions, who probably hadn't uh, revealed that to anybody before, you know, young single, single men, college students, um, kind of relational issues, just anxiety, depression as well, things that you would expect kind of in a collegiate setting. And uh, then transitioning here to, to RTS, uh, for the first five years here, uh, did uh, probably about somewhere in the neighborhood of 10, 10 plus hours of counseling a week, uh, just kind of the whole spectrum. Uh, so, so whatever came through the doors, we would certainly help, uh, couples counseling, depression, suicidal ideation, you name it. Uh, we have kind of done that. And then more recently have been focusing a little bit more on issues of trauma and abuse and recovery and things of that nature. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I just definitely wanted <clears throat> our audience to know as well that not only are you genius and well-educated, uh, and also a great writer. Nate is one of the, one of my favorite writers to read and he contributes to our blog. So I really appreciate that. Um, but that you are a practitioner, you do counseling as well, and you're not just speaking from uh, theoretical knowledge, but practical knowledge as well. So what, what is one of the hardest things you've personally faced in counseling ministry? I think one of the hardest things that I have faced in counseling ministry is I I think I face it every case that I do. Mm. And that's that I stare at the problem and I cannot figure out how to solve it. Um, At the end of the day, we're involved in a task that we believe the supernatural is absolutely necessary for. Mm -hmm. And while I may be able to, in my own head, map out, well, this is what you all need to do. I can't affect any of the heart change that's necessary to make people want to do that or even to see it clearly. Mm. And, and so I think one of the hardest things for me is just the natural discouragement that I face probably in, you know, somewhere in uh, counseling session numbers three to five, where perhaps <laughs> there isn't a lot of movement yet. And it's still a lot of resistance and grow weary and discouraged in that. Um, and oftentimes the Lord is gracious, but uh, I mean, just the reality is a lot of times I have a hard time seeing that. And that really does cast me back upon our savior. And it helps remind me that it's not any amount of degrees or any amount of technical skill that's going to produce fruit. It's the Lord who uses his watering can to sprinkle some water on some really dry ground. 
Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. You should write a book called Water Cans in the Instrument in the Redeemer's Hands. So <laughs> I, I think I need a, I think I need a ghostwriter for that one. You might you might be able to fill that curse. Oh man, that's that's good. That's good. What um <clears throat> what are some of the things that keep you going in counseling ministry? What gives you joy in in biblical counseling ministry? Uh, maybe two things. One is probably just seeing the absolute delight that comes when when, when, when people's lives change, um, I love thinking about the generational impact that counseling has. So, uh, you know, say you've got a, a married couple who are consistently quarreling and cannot seem to, cannot seem to figure out how to stop. And they know that the Lord wants more for them and has more to offer for them, but they can't seem to figure out how to get from point A to point B. I just love thinking about the way that when, when, when we're able to, by counseling skill and the Lord's grace, help them move from point A to point B, the impact that, uh, that they'll have on their kids and then the impact that that will have perhaps upon their grandkids and things of that nature. And, and to think of the kind of fruit that will be born from that uh, far after uh, I am laid in the grave and with the Lord is, is something really inspiring to me that, 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 makes, that, that gives it even more value. I think the second thing is just curiosity, right? Like, Every counseling case is different, and uh, and I learn things with every single counseling case. Um, I think every book that I write could be better than it was had I written it ten years later, five years later, because I've learned more from doing more counseling. And so there's, it's not a static discipline. It's something you're always growing and learning in. Yeah, no, amen to that. That's a good, and a few good words. I really appreciate that perspective on the generational change. Because, <clears throat> and one thing that often comes up is the fact that we get to watch people's lives change. But they're, you're spot on in just pointing out the fact that that can be something that radically alters somebody's family tree and family history for generations to come. And that's, that's a really great <clears throat> thing to keep in mind as well, as well as the fact that we should be and, and are called to be lifetime learners uh, and see each opportunity to grow in our case wisdom uh, and to become better at what we do. I, I have, and I'm sure you have, like there's, there's sentences from life that you remember, right? Where someone speaks something to you that becomes life shaping that really redirects who you are or opens some cavern that you didn't realize existed in your heart open uh, and such. And, and I just love being able to be part of that. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, if you could share without divulging, uh, violating confidentiality, maybe a mistake that you've made in counseling and, and what did you learn from it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> many, you know, um, <laughs> I think the biggest mistake that, that I made um, is assuming that knowledge of the scriptures equaled competence in every avenue of counseling. Um, and that is not a comment against sufficiency of the scriptures. It is a comment about how me as a counselor and my ability to, to, to use the scriptures wisely, uh, to be able to understand the ins and outs of what someone is going through, to understand their human experience. Um, I know early on in counseling, I just assumed that if I knew my Bible well enough, I would uh, be able to address any issue whatsoever. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, some of my own studies in, in trauma and kind of abuse counseling, 
uh, stems from some very poor counseling that I gave very early on. Um, because I didn't, I think of one situation in particular, I didn't understand the physiological impact that uh, traumatic stress could cause. Um, and, uh, and and not just physiological, but also uh, kind of issues of, of, of uh, how people process environments, uh, how certain stimuli uh, get get uh, kind of crossed into well, well, you, you talk about this often, Curtis, right? Where it's it's your 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 body, your mind is responding to a different situation than the one you're actually standing in due to kind of just an environment that tr- that's triggering, right? I, I didn't understand any of that, and so I wound up staring at people, thinking, well, "Why aren't you changing? You must not have enough faith." Well, the reality is, I didn't know what I was talking about, and I hurt some people doing it. Um, and so, of course, there's always going to be a, a first case, right? There's always going to be a first. Uh, right? There's if you go to school to, to draw blood, there's always going to be a first person that you that you do it on. There's always going to be a guinea pig, right? But there's a difference between something being the first thing you've done and you stepping into waters that you haven't studied before. Um, so, one of the things that I've done almost nothing of is addictions counseling. And, uh, and I'll just be honest, like when I have someone come to me, who's dealing with substance abuse, I, I pass them on to someone else with more training because I know there's, 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 there's a complexity there that's beyond what I've studied. I've probably read four books on addiction in my life. And it's not that I couldn't offer something as a friend. It's not something that I couldn't offer. It's not that I couldn't offer something as a pastor, but as a counselor, who's working with someone through kind of detailed matters, I need to have more knowledge than I do. Um, one of our uh, soon to be graduates runs a, an organization called freedom farms ministries. And he's a, it's a, it's a wonderful addiction, residential addictions, a substance abuse treatment facility up in Boone, North Carolina. And, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, supervising him. He was doing his, uh, his practicum classes with us here at RTS. And, uh, he was, uh, I was listening to one of the sessions that he'd done. And, uh, one of the, a gal he was counseling said, Oh yeah, I spent some time at, uh, she was asking what were the different treatments that he, she'd done. She's like, Oh yeah, I, I've, uh, I've spent, uh, spent some time at Narcodon. And I just kind of filed that away as Narcodon. Okay. So that sounds like one of those, uh, you know, uh, narcotics anonymous or whatever, you know, one of the 12 step things. He said, really, did you actually go to their facility? I said, yeah, down in Florida. Yeah. Well, it turns out that's the recovery branch of, uh, the church of Scientology. Um, and you know what? I look at that. I simply didn't know that. But for anyone who's in the world of addictions, they know it. And think of how that colors the way in which we understand what the person has gone through and perhaps some of the troubles that they may have and some of the alternate philosophies that they may have rolled uh, or kind of rolled around in in their life and things of that nature. That's a very small thing. But, uh, you know, as, as biblical counselors, we want to ex- offer expert care. And, uh, and so I'd say that's one of the mistakes that I made was to step into situations that I really had no business of stepping into because I hadn't studied it because I didn't have the training. Yeah, that's a good, uh, I think our <clears throat> mutual friend and colleague, Bob Kellerman is his book that came out, uh, in the past year, consider your counsel and others have, have been hitting on this, uh, beating this drum a little bit. And I think it's a good, it's a wise encouragement to stop and, and think about, because we need to be students of the word, as as Dr. Pierre always says, students of the word, but also students of the person and the, the experience of life, and make sure we're overlapping those two. So yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. It's not that 
the word is insufficient, but we are. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's an important distinction to, to be made. Well, we are <clears throat> wrapping up uh, almost to the end of our time together. Um, I alter, I'm altering one of the questions that I sent you, so you haven't had time to prepare for this. But if you were to think of, you know, just maybe one word of wisdom, piece of advice to our audience who are primarily biblical counselors out there uh, working in the field, just ministering to people, uh, what, what piece of advice would you want to pass along to them? I would say uh, my piece of advice would be to read broadly. Hmm. Yeah, to read broadly. So I, this is the professor coming out, I suppose. <laughs> but, you know, when you think of theological studies, and, and you and I have both done plenty, probably too much uh, theological uh, study there in terms of us being educated beyond our intelligence, Curtis. Um, <laughs> could be. Right. So like in my PhD program, I read systematic theologies from liberation theologians. I read systematic theologies from Lutheran theologians. I read systematic theologies from... Uh, non-reformed Baptist theologians from uh, from reformed theologians, you name it, across the enti- uh, Catholics, the entire spectrum. And you know, some of it wasn't always pleasant reading, and there's plenty of things that I certainly disagreed about. Um, but it made me better. It made me better because it helped me understand uh, different perspectives. It helped me appreciate the strengths that perspectives other than my own had. It helped me recognize uh, ways that the Lord. Uh, could shape me and grow me from people who are asking different questions than I were asking than was asking, and you know, inside of biblical counseling, I, I think that's one thing that we uh, can that, that that we ought to be marked by as well, right? To read uh, broadly in the field of counseling, to to learn what we can from others who are asking different questions than we are, that will help us round things out. Uh, and certainly, we want to remain uh, resolutely biblical and steadfast, um, but we can increase our steadfastness and and uh, our understanding of how the Bible touches every area of life by reading broadly in our field. Yeah, no, that's that's a good word. Good word. So everybody, go out there, keep buying books, keep reading, keep learning. <laughs> well, Nate, uh, two minute favorites is the last segment that we have for the end of the the podcast. So, are you ready for this? Yeah, ready for it. All right, here we go. What is, let me, oh, my timer's not working. There we go. Nope, still not working. We're going to get to do some editing and post here. That's always fun. There we go. All right, here we go. What is your favorite food? Uh, Nothing beats really good barbecue. All right, favorite word? Uh, anti-disestablishmentarianism because it was the longest word I knew in sixth grade. Uh, least favorite word. <sighs> All words are really fun in their own proper context, Curtis. <laughs> uh, favorite color. Uh, navy blue. Favorite sport. Would be football. Favorite sports. American variety. All right. Favorite sports team. Uh, whoever is playing the New York Yankees. All right. Uh, favorite gift you've ever received? Um, oh, uh, Nintendo GameCube uh, when I was 15. And we had the stomach flu, and my mom wanted to postpone Christmas. But we knew that that GameCube was under the tree, so we said absolutely not. 
<laughs> favorite gift uh favorite gift ever given um probably whatever i've given to my wife most recently that she actually liked uh favorite bible verse uh the steadfast love of the lord never ceases mm. his mercies never come to an end they're new every morning favorite ice cream flavor i'm allergic to all of them and you know that <laughs> favorite candy I'm allergic to all of them, and you know that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Favorite restaurant? (laughs) Favorite restaurant? Uh, There's a place here called Cajun Yard Dog. That's probably my wife and my favorite place. All right. Favorite book of the Bible? Favorite book of the Bible? Uh, It varies. Probably 1 John right now. Favorite book outside of Scripture? Favorite book outside of Scripture? Um. I've read uh, Swiss Family Robinson more than any other book because uh, I read it probably once a year for 10 years growing up. All right. Very good. Well, that wraps up our two minute favorites as well as our time. So all our members in our audience, remember not to send Nate anything sweet. He has a lot of allergies <laughs> uh, in case you hadn't figured that. I was, I thought your favorite restaurant was going to be in and out because you always got the, the burgers, <sighs> allergy veggie style i know so. it's it's yeah it's great but the thing is there's not anything closer to us than tech like the closest one is in fort worth texas oh uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I have to go with a favorite that's close by there you go there you go well nate thanks so much for being with us on fifteen fourteen today all right thanks so much for having me curtis it's been a delight Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.